Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Awesome. We're in this series titled The Will to Prosper. I shared with you last week that about October last year, I was really impressed in my heart um, regarding this word prosperity. I was reading the scriptures and there's so many scriptures about God's desire for us to prosper. And this is a word that has become uh, kind of like a don't talk about a word in church because it's been abused by some bad actors who have used this idea to try to exact money from people. And then on the other side, there has been criticism to those who have done that. And for that reason, a lot of people just don't talk about it. But the reality is that if you go through the scriptures from, from Genesis to Revelation, there is, there is this desire, this push, this move of God to, to bring their people out of bondage, out of slavery, mental and heart slavery, into a place of freedom. And so we talked about it last week, how the, the biblical view of prosperity, God's desire for, for prosperity, is not this minimal thing that the world has reduced to, which is simply more for me. If you, if you go outside of the, of the scriptures into a world today and talk about prosperity, it's, it's focused on a very specific area, finances and comfort. If somebody is prosperous, people automatically think their bank account. But when we look at the scriptures, the God's desire for us to prosper is wholesome. It starts from within. He wants our spirit to be prosperous. He wants our soul to prosper. He wants our relationships to prosper, our family to prosper. And it takes us as followers of Christ, and even those of you who are not Christians, who are not part of a church, or maybe you're here because you got invited, you're checking something out, you want to ignite your spiritual life. And, and it, it takes our, our spirit to mature, to be, come to understand what prosperity actually means. So we started the conversation last week talking about it. And this week, I want to talk about a subject, if you're taking notes. The title of my message is Wealth Ambitions. And we're going to get into a few things in the scripture that will help us clarify. Because uh, there is this tension when it comes to wealth. Especially in recent decades, you know, the level of animosity toward wealthy people in our culture has increased exponentially. In fact, according to the Cato Institute, uh, talking about our different generations, 52% of Americans under 30 will say that most rich people in the United States got got rich by taking advantage of other people. There is this, this sense that, ugh, wealthy people, ugh. And so um, that was a uh, strange onomatopoeia, right? Like the, ugh. <laughs> I pick on my wife. That's her sound. It kind of rub, rubbed off on me. <laughs> Wealth is, a, without a doubt, a debated topic in our culture. Because at the same time that there has been, there has been this this tension and emotion, historically, the promise of financial prosperity has been the bedrock of the American dream. 
You know, in the last century, even, even as the generations have grown, every generation has had examples of people who have gone from rags to riches in our country. We have people right now working on the next great idea, business idea, a new product, a YouTube channel, a secret sauce. And I know what they're thinking. I know what these inventors, these creators, these masterminds are thinking. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking, if the Snuggie did it, I can do it too. <laughs> Doesn't that just upset you that you didn't come up with that idea? I mean, it's a blanket with holes in it for your hands. It's such a simple thing. I'm, not, I'm getting on my soapbox on the Snuggie here now because when it came out, we were laughing about it. And guess who's laughing now? First five years of the Snuggie, you want to know how much money they made? $500 million in the first five years. Half a billion dollars. Because while we were all laughing, we wanted one. I mean, you can have popcorn while comforting your couch, guys. It's the American dream. I have one. <laughs> yes. We have people right now in our country crossing our borders and, and, and risking deportation to live in the shadows in America so they, can, so they can pursue financial prosperity, help their family back home. And they will do it. Within a month, they'll be sending help to their family. So we live in this paradox where we have increasingly despise the rich, yet everybody wants to be one. Everybody's aiming at some form of, of work or idea to increase in their life. So what's the actual problem? Because that's what we have to talk about. What is the actual problem? What is the, the tension? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. I think we need to identify the problem for two reasons. Identifying the actual problem will clear some of the misconceptions we have about wealth. And identifying the problem will give us clarity on how to pursue what we need to pursue properly. If that's wealth, properly as well. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, or you're considering Christianity, you will find a conflict between the way our culture pursues wealth, their wealth ambitions, and the way the scripture addresses our pursuit of wealth. There's definitely a tension there. And at times it can be confusing. Are we supposed to be wealthy? Aren't religious people and pious people supposed to take some kind of vow of poverty? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Is wanting to be rich a sin? I don't know if you've asked those questions. I certainly have asked those questions throughout my life. Or maybe you have your own set of questions that are along those lines. So we're going to look at a few stories in the Scripture because I think we need to glean from the Word, from the Scriptures, to help us answer some of these questions that we might have and give us direction. See, Jesus had a lot to say about wealth. And if you, especially in the book of Luke, there are parable after parable that uses uh, wealth measurements as a, a, a teaching point that Jesus shared with his people. So 
there's a lot that we can pick from, but there's a couple of stories that really uh, uh, pop out of the scriptures to me. And I want to I want to talk about them because these are significant encounters that Jesus had with two wealthy men that, sh- that shed some light on this subject. And it's recorded in Luke. The first one is when Jesus is being approached by a man that's simply identified as the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. That's how he is identified. And he came to Jesus because he was burdened by a quest to to achieve, to earn eternal life. So he asked Jesus, what must I do to earn eternal life, to inherit it? And so we go to the scriptures, Luke chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. This is what Jesus said. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And so he said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now, first question when I read this passage, this story, first question that I ask myself that comes to me is, how did he know there was something missing in his life? This is a man who had everything. He looks like a pretty solid guy. Quite a catch, if you ask me. I mean, he's young. He doesn't cheat. He's not violent. He doesn't steal. He never lies. He doesn't gossip. He loves his parents. He's tall, dark, handsome. I added that part, just the way I'm picturing it. But he is rich. He's rich. He's made it. He's where so many of us here today hope to be. Practicing the scriptures, being a good person, and succeeding in his career. But somehow he knows that he's falling short. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where even though everything is going good, even though internally there's, there, 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 you feel like everything is going good on the outside, but internally there's something amiss, something off, something that's not quite where it should be. Now you know you can't complain because you've been blessed in many areas. Work is good, marriage is good, money is good, friendships are good. But on the inside, there's like... Something foundational is off, and you can't put your finger on it. I feel like this is how this man felt. And the way he verbalized it to Jesus was, I feel like I need eternal life. I need the everlasting life. And Jesus gets to the core. He tells him, friend, you're living for money. Your wealth is commanding your life, is commanding your schedule, is commanding everything about you. Get rid of it. It's an entrapment. Come follow me. 
Now, what would you do if you were in this man's shoes? We read this story, we read these stories in the scripture, and sometimes they can, they can get religious in our mind, right? So we put a distance between us and the story. But this was an actual man with actual re, uh, uh, life, an actual life. Actual relationships, someone who had obligations, I don't know who he had to take care of, but I imagine that they had people depending on him. You see, anyone who tries to make money into something small and insignificant, because we can look at Scripture like that, why didn't he give it up? Anyone who tries to, to make money into something small and insignificant is not being honest or has a poor grasp on reality because money is not a small thing. What Jesus asked of him was big because money matters. And I believe the problem that Jesus addressed with this man is not only this man's problem, but it's every man's problem. It's every woman's problem. It's all of our problems. When I look at this scripture, I see us because it's about the question, what makes me feel secure? Where's my identity rooted? Where does my peace come from? And above all, what is my life serving? And the proper answer is not money is terrible, wealth is evil, get rid of it. Because that would be as right as saying poverty is great, being broke is fun, be poor. And that doesn't make sense. This man came to Jesus asking for the way to eternal life. And Jesus says, get rid of what's holding you back. Come and follow me. Now, be honest. If you, when you heard the scripture, when I was reading the story, and, and, you, and don't, you don't have to, replay, to, to, to answer it out loud, but when you heard Jesus' invitation for him to, to, to sell everything, get rid of everything, and give his money to the poor, did you hear... This is the way to a great life. Or did you think, Jesus is asking this guy to be broke? Because there's both right there, right? Like, ah, oh, this is a great thought, Jesus. Good for him. I hope he would do it. And I think this story reveals something about us. You know, the rich young ruler... A man devoted to God, pious, who followed the commandments, could not put money second and answer the call. He couldn't do it. He was too attached to his wealth, too dependent on it to make God first. So he walked away sad. I can't do it. Now the second story I want to share with you is even more intriguing than this one. But I believe it complements it because it's the story of a man who didn't follow the law. A man who apparently was not living to earn eternal life. He was an oppressor, definitely. And he made his wealth by taking advantage of people. By defrauding people. He wasn't concerned with the needy. To him, prosperity meant more for me. He was a Jewish man. But he was a tax collector 
for the Romans. And for you to understand how bad this was, see, most of us are not old enough to remember or to have you know, an opinion, a present opinion in those times uh, to have lived through a season when America could have turned communist. You know, it was many years ago, but uh, imagine that America didn't defeat communism. Imagine that we were grasped by it, by by that system. And that it not only conquered America, but that the forces, the Soviet forces and those who were at power back then, Um, they not only, on top of all the restriction, all the military presence, all the abuse, they decided to impose taxes on American citizens. Now imagine that they enlisted Americans to do that. And imagine that only, not only were they enlisting people, but that one of your friends chose to take that job and to be the person who would collect taxes on behalf of the enemy of Americans and was getting wealthy off of it. That's what this guy was doing. He was working for the Romans as a Jewish man, exacting taxes from his own people and not doing it honestly, stealing from people. His name was Zacchaeus. He's not only, he was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector enforcing the Roman taxes on his people. Now Zacchaeus was the apparent opposite of the rich young ruler because he was a cheater. He was a liar. He did steal. And he was not tall. He was not dark. He was not handsome. Maybe he was. I'm just, you know, just building the opposite here. But he was definitely not tall. We know that. And, and, but he was very rich. And the reason why uh, the Bible mentions that he was not tall is because he couldn't see through the crowd when Jesus was coming. And he wanted to see Jesus. He was curious about Jesus. So Zacchaeus climbed a tree. And I imagine that, you know, he climbed the tree maybe like a sloth, like hanging from the branch like this. Just to see Jesus. Jesus was walking on the way. And he went ahead of where Jesus was. Climbed on the tree to see Jesus come down. And as Jesus approaches the tree where he was. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. So that's where we pick up on the the scripture. My God. I think the fast is making me stutter. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 through 10. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He was gone to to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, look, Lord, here And now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation has come to this house. Here's a man who was driven by greed. Motivated to get rich. 
by any means possible, even if it meant to betray their fellow country, his fellow countrymen. He didn't mind if he was defrauding the poor. He just wanted to get rich. What a contrast from him to the rich young ruler. One followed the law, trying to love God, trying to do the best. And this guy, who's doing everything wrong, just a dinner with Jesus. Jesus. And apparently, he gets, not only does he get, receive salvation, redemption, and forgiveness from Jesus, but apparently he gets to stay rich. Think about it. Jesus didn't ask him to give everything away. Nevertheless, he volunteered. He said, Lord, listen to this. I hear you. I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And I'm going to make every wrong right. I'm going to right my wrongs. I've been living wrong. What? Why was Jesus' requirement of the first man so high, but his grace to the second man so wide? Why did he set the bar so high for the rich young ruler and let Zacchaeus just walk right under that bar? I wasn't going to make a short people joke, but I shouldn't. Hey, I'm tall. And this is what I read. Short people live longer. Did you know that? About five years longer, so I, I wish I could. I will, in Jesus' name. Stuff I think about, guys. I'm going to answer this with a third story. Because there's a tension there. And I feel like it needs clarity. The third story is this. King David had finished his reign in Israel. King David was a great king. He, he, he was called by God himself as a man after my own heart. And he was a great warrior. He led Israel to growth and, and prosperity. And when he finished his reign, he crowned his son king. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. And now Solomon, this young man, has to fill in his dad's shoes. He has to take the nation from where his dad left and continue to lead them. And so the first thing Solomon did is he spoke to the people. He assembled his team, his leadership team. And he went to a place called the Tent of the Meeting, which is a place that Moses had set up years and years before. And this we pick up in the scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the Tent of the Meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, let me pause right here. Two things you will notice from this scripture. First thing is that, is that he did, what, what he did first was to inquire of the Lord. His first desire was to go to God's presence. The first thing he did was to go to God's presence. And then the second thing to notice here is that God asked him, what do you want? 
Now, if God showed up to you today, right now, and he asked you, what do you want? Ask me anything. What would be your, what would be your answer? What would you answer? What's the first thing that comes to your heart right now? Don't say it out loud. But like, what do you want? Ask me anything. Here's what Solomon asked for. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? What a heart. What a desire to serve the people. Asking, asking is an important thing. We, we, we live in this, in this world where communicating comes so easy and it's second nature. But if you stop to think about what asking means, because scripture talks about asking, right? The action of asking is not just about words. Asking is more than words. What we ask for reveals what's in our hearts. It shows what we value. It exposes our intentions and motivations. And, and we ask not just with words. We ask with actions. We ask with attitudes. We ask with gratitude. We ask with our will. And Solomon's ask was beautiful. He didn't ask for gold. He didn't ask for silver. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for protection. He didn't, he didn't ask for any benefit for himself. He didn't ask for safety. He asked for wisdom to take care of God's people. God, you have given me a purpose, a reason to live on this earth. And I've been given this task. It's a big one. But I want your people to succeed. So give me wisdom. Now look at God's reply. God said to Solomon, verse 11. Since this is your heart's desire. And you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor. Nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for long life. But for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people. Over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge, I will, it will be given to you. Now listen to this. Last verse. I will ask, I will also give you wealth. I will also give you possessions. I will also give you honor. Such as no king who was ever before you and ever had and none after you will ever have. In other words, Solomon, because you have the will to prosper in the right area. I will cause you to prosper in every area. Because you were not driven by greed, selfishness, pride, insecurity, envy. But you were driven by love and care of my people. I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to accomplish what I have purposed you to accomplish. Friends. When I read these stories, these three stories, 
I don't see a God who is checking on your bank account every day to see if you haven't crossed some threshold where it makes you evil. I don't see a God who is trying to cause you to qualify for his kingdom based on your socioeconomic status. He's looking at the heart. God is looking at the heart. God is not looking at how wealthy you're becoming. God is looking at your ambitions. He's looking at my ambitions. How should the wealthy person act is a question that we, we ask often. How should they behave? Because sometimes they think that, that that's what it's about, right? We say things like, wow, you wouldn't believe that man is a millionaire. You wouldn't believe how much they have. He's so nice. She's so nice. They're so down to earth. Well, the rich young rulers seem really nice. Really down to earth. Yet he didn't get in. Didn't make it. Because it's a matter of the heart. His wealth was his identity. We don't even know his name. His wealth was such, such a part of his identity that he's identified by his wealth and his status. The rich young ruler. That's who he is. So to him, that's what he was going to lose himself. And Jesus is asking, are you willing to use all that you have to care for what I care for? Are you willing to go all in? Can you put, can you put people above things? I know your identity is the rich ruler, but I want to make your identity the caring ruler. The person who cares. He couldn't let go of his ambitions. They were not healthy. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. And I want to ask you this question today. Are you in conflict with your ambitions? Do you feel like there's a, there's a disconnect on the inside between who you really are. Who God is calling you to be. And your ambitions. That there's this tension. It's like there's two of you. Where there's a nature in you that says, go. Don't care about people. Just, you got to get it done. Take care of number one. Forget everybody else. Grind, grind, make it happen. And then there's the other person that says, well, I, I, need, to, I need to live for what matters. There's some other things that need to be more important than this pursuit, than my ambitions. Like, like I, need to, I need to hone that in. And when we live in that tension, it's, it's, it causes us to be almost like disassociated. Like you, there's two of you and you're trying to integrate. And I feel like that's how the rich young ruler was living. And the truth is that if there's any part of you that identifies with the rich young ruler. See, none of us consider ourselves rich in this room. If I talk to you, you're going to say, well, I am, but I, I'm, I'm okay. But you should see some people. Because in this area... There's always somebody better than you, right? But the truth is that every single one of us, if you compare it to the rest of the world, we're part of the 1%. And so we have comforts. We have, we have options. We have things that we have been given. And part of you probably identifies with this man because we live in a culture that pushes us toward that. And the truth is that if there's any part of us 
that's like the rich young ruler, a good person, trying to get better, trying to find the secret of a fulfilling life. And we want to become like Solomon, someone who sees with clarity what's valuable, what's important, what to love most. We have to act like Zacchaeus. We have to come to God's presence. We have to look at Jesus, do everything we can to get above every impediment to see Jesus with clarity. We need to rise above every distraction. Get on that tree of hope. Get on that tree of prayer. Get on that tree of worship. Get on that tree where you can see Jesus with clarity. Because when you cast your eyes upon, upon Jesus and he sees you, he's going to invite you into a relationship that's way more intimate than you seeing him from far away like just another person in the crowd. He's going to say, I want to come into your, in your house. Let's talk about this. Let's put some things in order. We got to have a heart of Zacchaeus. I feel like every single one of us here today, we are the rich and ruler, and we are Zacchaeus. And we are here because we're aiming to be like Solomon. That's why you're here. If you didn't care about it, you'd be in your bed right now. Or munching on brunch instead of fasting for 21 days. The invitation today is for us to come to God with a humble heart and have the willingness to repent. You know, this word repentance in Scripture means metanoia. It means like, I'm going to make an, a, a concerned effort to change direction, change my mind. And so... My question to you today is, what are you asking? It starts with the, with the asking. And if your life is asking for things that feed into your wealthy, your, your, your ambitions, that your wealth ambitions that are not lined up with the will of God, I want to ask you to change that and to begin to ask things that line up with his will. And the, the, the very start of that is to have a strong relationship with Jesus. Do you receive that this morning? Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.